0: Starting this morning with Acts chapter 5. This is on page 913 of your Pew Bible. If you would like to find your way there, uh, that'll help you follow along. But I'm going to speak for a moment about another verse that I think helps make sense of of everything we're going to look at. We are also going to look at that Luke chapter 12 text at the end. Uh, The verse I want to use as our our foil, as as our direction through this, is James chapter 5 verse 12 and don't worry about turning there just just listen as I read this one to you um, he says but above all my brothers do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation the danger is, what Jesus calls hypocrisy. And we'll come to that in a moment again. The story of Acts chapter five is just an example of some very extreme hypocrisy in the early Christian church and of how at that still prophetic age, at that time when God was still pouring out the spirit of prophecy upon his church, especially through the apostles themselves, gifts of healing, miracles, all these things, you see that not all miracles are are happy ones. It's a very Old Testament kind of moment. There aren't lions that come out of the woods to maul the young men, but indeed Ananias and Sapphira die as a result of their hypocrisy. Because their yes was not yes and their no was not no, not to men, but to God. And so as we, again, are going to talk about our financial reality, what it means to be stewards of the gifts that God has given, the most important thing you steward is not your bank account. And it's not your house. It's your heart. It's your mind. It's your faith. And the way to steward your trust in Jesus Christ always begins with being honest about who you actually are. So that when your yes is yes and your no is no, there there is no guile, right? There is no pretending. There is no acting. Again, we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. But if, if you can let that yes be yes, no be no, that's what pastor wanted me to get out of the sermon today. That's a, That's a good place to start. Now, I already jumped to Acts 5 as I was talking there, page 913 again. The story, you heard it read, but but we'll go ahead and go through verse by verse here. A man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. We don't know much about them, but they had some, some money. They were a moneyed people. They had land. They sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the problem is not that they kept back part of it. It's okay if you don't give all of your money to church. That's not the problem, right? The problem, and this is the context that tells us this, is that they effectively said they were giving all of it. And you know this because in the previous section, that's what a lot of people in the early Jerusalem church were doing. If they had extra things, including property, they were selling it and they were bringing it to the apostles, and they were giving it to them. And the apostles were distributing this to whoever had need of it. They were making sure everybody was being cared for in this this new congregation community. That at the same time, remember, they're living in Jerusalem. They're going to the temple. They're engaging with the synagogue. It's a time unlike our time in many, many ways. And there have been some who have arisen, say, in the last 1700s, excuse me, in the last uh, 300 years, since the 1700s or so, who want to see in this some sort of proto-communism, that that the real goal of the church is redistributing wealth. You can maybe see or hear what that looks like these days a bit more than than in the last 20 years. It seems to be something a lot of people are advocating for. Uh, But that is not the main goal of Christianity. And we, we see this very clearly. It stops right after this their attempt to live in a redistributed wealth situation does not go on because of the event of Ananias and Severa, because the fear that everyone has makes them a little less willing to come in and say, here's all my money. It's interesting, isn't it, then, how it is our lies that get in the way of our generosity. And you must understand that the apostolic age is like a foretaste of the feast to come. It's not that we shouldn't try to do good. It's not that we don't want to love our neighbor. It's that we also continue to walk with this flesh that's always fighting against us. And so we cannot completely realize our eschatology. That's big language there. What that means is the end of the world hasn't actually gotten here yet. We have the deposit. We have trust in Jesus. And through that, we begin to war against the flesh. We walk as those who have wisdom and have seen the light. Uh, but uh, we don't expect paradise to come. In fact, Jesus says again, in another place, the poor you will always have with you. Uh, so the goal here is not to uh, you know, enact some sort of communism, especially not here at St. Paul Lutheran Church. The goal is to let our yes be yes and our no be no. If you're going to enact communism, well, then you better be an honest person at the top, and that's often of course, the problem with communism, yes. Uh, but, okay, so uh, they lay it at the apostles' feet. The problem is they're lying. Peter doesn't take it. And this, you ever heard it said, you know, um, uh, you can't judge somebody's heart. You ever heard that said? Huh? Uh, you can't read their heart. I got one hand up over there. Um, the, the funny thing about a prophet is that he sure can. It's, it's kind of what a prophet does, is is he reads your heart, Right? And so anybody who wants to claim to have the gift of prophecy, they, they should also be able to read the heart. Um, I, I don't know how often that really is given these days. Uh, but Peter has this gift. So he knows. He just he just miraculously has divine knowledge poured into him. This guy's lying to me. Yeah. Ananias, he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? That's the issue. The issue is that he's pretending to do something for Jesus that he's not actually doing. He doesn't think Jesus is watching. And that's actually then the real unbelief, to not see that Christ is in fact aware of everything that's going on all the time. What do you think you've done that he doesn't know? Huh? And of course, you know this, like intellectually, you're well aware of that. Of course, God knows what's going on. But day by day, our flesh doesn't know this. Our emotions don't know this. We're always trying to kind of, hide the worst parts of us and not let anyone see it, yeah? Again, Peter says to him, why have you let Satan convince you you can do this to God to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Verse four. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? This is just so key. This is why this is an important verse and section for Christian stewardship. It's not like it's not your own. The problem isn't that you have stuff and you don't give it. Huh? The problem is when you lie to yourself and to God about what you can do or will do or are doing. I'm giving all that I can possibly give. The odds of that being true are, are almost zero, right? No matter what, no matter what's your income, it's almost zero. The problem is not that you're not giving more. The problem is you're telling yourself you're doing all you can do. Just just be honest, I'm not doing all I can do. I actually have a fleshly passion and I want things too much in this world. And so I'm afraid to give to Jesus as much as I possibly can. But I love Jesus and know he loves me. And so I'm glad that he's my God. And I'm sure someday he'll show me a better way to see. Much better than I'm doing all I can possibly do. Again, do you see how let your yes be yes and your no be no? The issue is not what you're actually doing. The issue is what you're telling yourself you're doing. When you're doing something different. Yeah? And so again, if you have property, it's, it's yours and it's given for you to use. The reason why communism is actually a, a terrible, oh, I should even say, a sinful idea is because of the seventh commandment. Now, here's a test, ye Lutherans, with your catechisms. What's the seventh commandment? A oh, very good. You shall not steal. Okay, so when God says you shall not steal, that means you shall not take from someone else what God has given to him, which means that God has, in fact, given it to him. So property, ownership of stuff is given by Jesus. And to steal is to say, no, Jesus didn't give it to you. He gave it to me. That's why it's wrong. And where communism, as a theory, we don't have to go off on this too much here, but where that is, is wrong, then it says, well, God gave it to him, but it's not fair. So we're going to create a government to take it from him and give it to them. But we'll take cream off the top, of course, as it transactions through the hands. Yeah. And so anyway, whatever. No, wicked men do wicked things. But the point here is not anti communism, The point is is property. The property is good. God has given you what you have, and it's yours it's yours for you to use. Now, one of the issues is, who are you going to use it for? If it's there for you to use just for you, well, that's that's a bit lonely, don't you think? So it's there for you to use for the good of who you see. Not to cling to and hold on to as some kind of security against the future car- terrors, right? but to make use of in the best possible means every day that you have. So again, after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? It's yours to choose what to do with. And as we then come this, you know, main event time to to make our decision, I'm going to try to take a step up in what I give to St. Paul Lutheran Church this coming year. Like, if you don't want to, don't. The the point here is not to strong arm you into making our budget work. The point here really is to strong arm you into reading your Bible more and caring about praying the Psalms at home and speaking of this truth around the dinner table. That's the goal. Part of giving enough that it hurts just a little bit compels you to do those other things a bit more. It compels you to trust. So there's a discipline that's involved in this. But again, the point of the property is that it's yours to do good with. And if you don't think it's good to give 11% or 8% to to St. Paul, then then great. God bless you. You have your opinion on that matter. That's okay. But what I want, again, is for you to be clear in your sight about what you are doing. As opposed to just floating along, beaten by every wind of doctrine and change that the world tells you to do. And I certainly would hope you're not just sending the money to whatever the TV says you should send it to. You think it's getting stolen. That's where it's getting stolen. Now, continuing verse 4. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. that That's our goal here. To become Christians who live in open hearts before God. I mean, obviously, we don't want to lie to men. But more important than that is not lying to God about who you are. Knowing that you don't hide anything, that he sees it all, and he loves you. And he died for you. He considered you so valuable that he bought you with his blood. You are blood bought. That grace is the reason to fear him. That grace is the reason to stop hiding. Yeah. Now, the story, again, is, is quite terrifying in its own right when ananias heard these words he fell down and breathed his last it's a miraculous death it's a curse in the moment that it happens and great fear came upon all who heard of it they're all like oh whoa whoa this is this is for real this religion ain't a joke it's not a hobby it's not a story it's not a myth this is for real the young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him I find it interesting. It's the young men who do it. You know, when you touch a dead body in Jewish culture, you're unclean for a while. So the the young men are the ones who get to go and miss out on church for a bit, all that kind of thing. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Uh, it's not quite entrapment, but there's a certain moment. It was like he's. It's like the reliving of Genesis chapter three. All uh, right where Adam is caught in the sin, and then he, he says, well, my wife, she she did it. And so God turns to Eve and says, now, what, what did you do? Right, Giving a chance for repentance, really. Right? Not assuming anything, although Peter, Peter knows. He knows what's happened. He says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such an amount of money. And, and she's, oh yeah, of course, that much. See, there's the problem. The lie is the problem. It's not how much money they gave. It's the lie. Huh? Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And this this is what we don't want to do as Christians. We don't want to test God. We don't want to act as if God is a blind man whom we can rob and trick. So then he says, behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down dead at his feet, breathed their last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear fell upon all the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Um, I, I don't know that there's there's too much more for me to say there about the story itself. And I think I've already kind of driven home the main idea that you want to be a free-hearted Christian. You want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. You want to not have to say, I promise because if you have to promise, that means there's times when your yes isn't true. That's, that's why oaths are bad. It's not that it's just don't take an oath because. It's because the fact that you're saying, I promise, I swear, it means when you say yes, you might be lying. And so you have to swear to prove you're not lying. Right? Oaths only exist in a world of lies. God also takes an oath. He takes an oath to save you doubly true than it says, because he never lies. His oath actually levels up everything, yeah? But, all right, so yes, yes; no be no. Let's move to Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, our other reading this morning. That's on page 871 of your Pew Bible. And we can go a little quickly past verse 1, where it says that so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. I don't know that Jesus is just going to ignore them killing each other, but the idea is this crowd is massive, massive. There's nowhere for anybody to really move around and and people are being overlooked. People are being forgotten. And that is part of probably why he starts to teach his disciples about what the real reasons for being together are. And they're not for me. They're not for mine. They're not for more to learn to see. And what you're going to see is that the other, especially the weak, is of high value to God. Huh? So again, he, he teaches, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Pharisees are one of several strong factions within the culture of first century Judaism. They are mainly lay people. They're not priests. I don't think of them as pastors. Think of them as the best Christian people you can imagine. They look good. They act good. They talk good. When you talk about what they put in the offering plate, even their spice cabinet does not escape notice. They do it all to the letter. But apparently, Jesus says they are are hypocrites. Now, that word hypocrisy is is what I want to give a moment here to, just in general, as a word. Uh, It's really fascinating to me. Um, uh, It is the word in Greek, hypokrito. Hypokrito, hypocrite. It comes straight into the English. And it has a strange pedigree in Greek because it kind of has two meanings. It has the original meaning that belonged to, say, Homer and other ancient Greek writers, and in there, it really just meant to interpret, to interpret, and to hear one thing and then say what it meant. And this was in no way a bad word. though, Hypocrit, was not a bad word to the Greeks. They wouldn't have said, you're a hypocrite, and meant it in a bad way. Now, over time, it ceases to mean interpret and comes to mean to act, like is in I'm an actor on a stage. And you can kind of see how an actor on a stage is interpreting the play. Can you follow that jump in meaning? Yeah? So he's going to open up Homer's Odyssey, and he's going to say it to you out loud, and his face is going to make expressions, and he's going to make motions, and all of that is an interpretation of the text. Huh? Rhetoric is another way to think of that word. But, but it then comes to mean the word actor. Actor. No longer interpreter, but one who puts on a play. Okay? Now, again, in the Greek world, this was fine. No problem. Not worried about it. The Jews didn't feel the same way. And starting with the Old Testament in Greek, they use this word in a very, very pejorative, that is, negative way. And then Jesus picks up on that, and he uses this word as one of his highest forms of criticism. Here it is. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They're just actors. And the point isn't, again, quite that you can't do any Shakespeare in the park. The point is that they're acting in their own life. They're pretending to be something other than they are. They're lying, first of all, to themselves. And as they lie to themselves, they become capable of lying to God. Uh, he says, beware of this. He doesn't say you'll never find this in yourself. Uh, he doesn't say you won't need to repent of this on some regular basis, that you might need to daily drown and die in an awareness that you do tend to pretend to be other than you are, so you can feel good about yourself. Like, that's that's what we have to see The beware is beware of not seeing that, right? Beware of thinking that somehow we are capable of keeping that law with such perfection that we don't in fact need to be saved from it. Beware of the Pharisees because they are hypocrites. What they say is not what they do. One more thought here, and then we'll we'll dive into the rest of the text and and close this up. But sort of a a, a tangent thought here. Why do we as people, I don't think it's just Americans, but we are terrible about this. Why do we always put on the best possible face for everybody else? We don't let you know who I really am. How are you doing today, Pastor? Oh, good. Why is that? And I think part of the reason is because of a type of money that we have that isn't money. It's called status. And status is its own form of currency. How others see you and speak about you means a lot to you. More than it probably should. It's not like you want to have a bad name. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is having a good name in a world filled with evil men is going to mean more to you than it should because the evil men are going to say bad things. and You're going to want to make them say good things. So you're going to change to please the evil men in that game of status. Status is a kind of wealth, though. It certainly is. How is it that people are able to get things done in politics? By the power of their name. Status, however, also is what you call a zero-sum game. That means for me to be popular, someone else has to not be. It's not a positive-sum game. That means everybody gets some, right? Status is a zero-sum game. And so playing the game of status with your heart is guaranteed to ultimately either disappoint you or make you think more highly of yourself than you should. It functions a lot like money does in that sense, as opposed to true wealth, Wisdom, trust, peace of conscience, security of heart before God. That's true wealth, right? Status is a different game. And hypocrisy is that which lets you play status well. All right. So he says, beware of this. And then he tells the truth about the future. Nothing is covered, verse 2, that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Just, Just think about Judgment Day right there. The day on which all things are repaid for what they deserve. And you could go look in the book of Revelation, you can see that there's books there on the judgment table. They're gonna open the books, they're gonna find your name, they're gonna to say to this, to this, to this, to this, to this, this, to this, this. Not a single word is going to escape absolute perfect judgment. All of it's gonna be known. Now, if you keep reading in the book of Revelation, you'll notice that only the wicked are finally judged on what's written in the books. And then there's this other book called the book of life. And they bring that one out. And if your name's in the book of life, then what's in the judgment books doesn't matter. And you enter into paradise with your name in the book of life. And I think you can put two and two together, but I'll do it for you. If you're in the book of life, it's because you're baptized into Jesus Christ. You've been washed with his name. You've been covered with his blood. You are blood bought by him. You are purchased at auction. And he wants you as his own. And so, indeed, he calls you out of the darkness of your own judgment into marvelous light. That that does not change the fact that, again, here he says it, nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Full disclosure is coming. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. I mean, that's one thing to like use next time you want to talk poorly about someone who's not present. Just know they're going to know someday what you said. They're going to know someday what you said. So so at least try to like, I don't know if best construction is always the best way to say, it. try to say it with as much truth and grace as you can at all times. What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Verse four, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. It's not accidentally after he said this, you know, everything you do and say is going to be seen someday. It's not accidental. He's like, so be a little afraid. Be honest about how much you should be afraid of everybody knowing what you've said, what you've done. Don't fear those who can kill the body, though. This would be other men. This would be even the devil. Um, After that, they can do nothing else. For the Christian death is gain. What I warn you whom to fear is, verse 5, fear him who after he has killed, God's the final author of death, after he has killed, fear the one who has authority to cast into Gehenna, into hell, into the, the burning pit of eternal fire. And so he says very much, yeah, fear, fear God. It's good. It's good to be afraid of God. When you realize how big judgment is, it's gonna have that, that little tingling moment. Go, like, oh, I don't know, oh man, that's kind of scary. That's a good thing. Yes, I tell you. I mean he goes on, yes, he's not joking. I fear him. But immediately after that, he's gonna shift into a fear not. And he says, well, what's a sparrow worth? And I I do, it's kind of interesting to me. Like, I don't think you could get five sparrows for two pennies today. I really don't. I mean, inflation has done quite a number on us. Um, Five sparrows are worthless, is his point though. I mean, what is it? Um, They were, I think, used for sacrifice. But uh, his point here again is like, isn't something that's worthless still created by God? So is it really, worthless? Didn't he make the trees, the sun, the cows? Doesn't he love it all? None of them is forgotten by him. That's what he says here in verse six. That's his point. God's in charge of all this stuff. He knows exactly what's going on. And even the hairs of your head are numbered. I always get this picture of like a I don't know if you ever play the video games where you, you're fighting against a bunch of bad guys and their health status is like right above their head. And you see all these like bars moving around around their heads. And so I imagine these numbers on each of my hairs just kind of hanging there, moving around in God's sight. Um, I, I don't know. How does he number the hairs? And, and when I, I lose a few every day. So do you probably. When it gets longer, you notice that a bit more. Um, he knows that. This That's the point, right? So that hair came out in the morning. God was with you. Didn't slip past him. That's, that's the point. Nothing that goes on in your life slips past Jesus Christ. So fear not, he says again, right? First, fear him, yes. Fear the judgment, yes. And then look at the cross. Look at the crucified man. See the blood pouring from his hands to buy you. And fear not, you're of so much more value to him than anything else. And he values those things. It's not that the sparrows have no value. It's that you are the most cherished Valued, treasured possession of all his creation, the pinnacle of it, he made it for you. Verse 8, he says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge him before the angels. The chief place to not be a hypocrite in your life is when you are able to speak the name of Jesus. It's not easy these days, it's kind of hard. I, I was talking with Meredith just yesterday about how uh, when people say, how are you doing, pastor? I want to try to train myself to say something I read in the Bible that morning. Huh? Now, the goal isn't so that I get a b- bigger crown in heaven or anything like that. I just actually want to experience that in my life. I want to confess Jesus Christ before men because I, I honestly think it'll be better that way. Like I'll enjoy my life more as opposed to having to tell you you know either lie yeah I feel great today uh, or be like yeah you got an hour and a half so I can talk about it like like uh, instead of that to be like wow you know this morning Proverbs trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart lean not on your understanding I'm so glad I can know that how are you the point again is Jesus says where is the most important place to tell the truth it's when you speak about God And to speak about God in Jesus Christ before men is eternal life. Now, you don't get the health, you don't get the mansions, not yet, but you get to speak the words of life. Final verse, a little warning here, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I know you feel that. You have the chance to say something about Jesus and you're like, I don't know, they might get mad. You know, or, or you know, these days we have to be polite. We have to recognize what people are willing to hear. And, and, and if they get upset, well, then we were wrong. Huh? I, I, well, I, I think that's a temptation of the devil. I think if somebody gets upset at what you said, it's possible you were a jerk. Don't get me wrong. It's possible. It's possible they're a jerk. And if you're going to go around letting a bunch of jerks make you not say good things, kind things, loving things, then guess what the world's going to be filled with? You know, jerks and scared people. That's what. And Sounds a lot like where we are, yeah? So anyway, the goal this morning in all of this is to see that stewardship is a matter of having been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit within you. And the spirit of wisdom is the spirit of truth. Of course, driven by the forgiveness of sins that you have in Jesus Christ. Driven to want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. Because to walk in the light as he is in the light is eternal life acting among us right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.